Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. Well, we've been having it, as I said in a title in which I had critiqued Bain a couple of months ago on timeslive.co.za. And um, that's because Bain, like many other companies, had been part of state capture, quite actively so, and have had the audacity of painting themselves as victims that have just been unwittingly unsnared by the state capture activities of politicians and officials within the state. Well, rather belatedly, the government has decided that that's not good enough. And Bain, of course, has now been banned from doing business with the state for the next 10 years. You would have thought that they would accept that as minimum punishment, not even maximum or necessarily just punishment. But no, Bain has now come out guns blazing and said, we have not been involved in state capture, we're not guilty of corruption, and that a 10-year ban is, quite frankly, unfair. Now, I've invited Bain South Africa to be part of this conversation. They have declined, which I think is unfortunate, and they sent us a 30-second clip that I will not play, and I'll tell you why. Because companies, like parts of the state, I must add, during lockdown, have now got into the habit of sending us journalists, broadcasters, little clips on WhatsApp, hoping that we will behave like their PR companies, like Resolve Communications, and publish uncritically what they had to say. The whole point of the accountability role of a broadcaster is to ask you good follow-up questions about everything you've had to say, to give you a good chance to explain yourself, but then also to test the cogency of what you have to say. So listening to the MD of Bain South Africa in a 30-second clip is simply not good enough. My free advice to Bain is that bad news doesn't go away just because you don't want to speak about it. And um, what Stephen York should really do is to call back or via Resolve email us. doesn't have to be me. It can be any of my colleagues, including Natasha that I'm about to introduce, and agree to a full interview that is unscripted. But in the absence of that, I've got two excellent guests that will help us to interrogate this question of whether it's unfair for Bain to be banned from doing business with the state for the next 10 years. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. First guest is Natasha Marion, who is also my colleague at Arena Holdings and a deputy editor, Financial Mail. Natasha has now been a journalist long enough for that horrible description to go with her name, Veteran. How's it, Natasha? How's it, Eusebius? Thank you for having me. 
And then also with us is well-known commentator, one of my favorites, an excellent economist. And um, I love him because he said as it sees it and puts an argument and also locates economic analysis within the wider social and political discourse, as he did in an excellent article in Daily Maverick that is still important. You can go and Google it. It was entitled, The Zondo Report Has Clearly Fingered the Enablers of State Capture. Now it's time for reparations. And I'm talking about Iraj Abedian, uh, who, of course, is a prominent commentator in the economic space, as well as the chief economist of Pan-African Investment and Research Services. Iraj, thank you so much for being part of the conversation. Thank you very much, Eusebius, uh, for inviting me, and great to meet you, Natasha. Natasha, the facts are important. You wrote, you've written many pieces about, about Bain. One of many of them I revisited in preparation for our conversation in which you, I think appropriately so as well, allowed yourself the space as a senior journalist and as deputy editor to also mix facts with your own opinion as an observer entitled What the Bain Case Says About South Africa. Now, Bain paints itself as being an unwitting victim of a larger state capture narrative. Fundamentally, is that perspective accurate? No, it isn't, Eusebius. Um, the problem with Bain is that they have not been, they have not allowed themselves to be completely candid about what exactly happened during that time at SARS. Uh, basically, what they did was when their um, representative who was at the center of the entire SARS saga, when he went to the Nugent Commission of Inquiry and he admitted to very damning evidence um, that the contract that Bain received from SARS was um, irregular at best um, and that he was working intimately with Mr. Tom Moyani, the former commissioner that um, at, at the time, to uh, actually extricate senior staff members from SARS. Yeah. Um, it was at the heart of the capture of SARS. And um, Bain allowed Mr. Massone to basically um, disappear. He, he disappeared off the scene and Payne literally, once that happened, said he has, uh, the only person who has further answers as to why uh, Bain restructured SARS in the way it did and removed key people in the way that it did uh, was Mr. Massoni and never made any attempts to uh, get him to come back to uh, the excuse they used was he was ill and he's gone back to Italy. Um, never got any answers from him as to what exactly uh, the the dynamic was between him and Mr. Moyani. So, you know, Bain, Bain keeps saying that we've paid back the money. There's no evidence that our own investigation found that of corruption. But um, frankly, the Nugent Commission, which, which was uh, pre-Zondo, um, recommended that the NPA investigate uh, criminal charges against Bain um, for for corruption. Um, and hmm. uh, Mr. Massoni from Bain and others who are still at the consultancy um, could provide us with key answers into what Mr. Moyani's intention was um, around SARS, which will help us also to bring Mr. Moyani to book for Absolutely. his role in state capture. And that's my difficulty. You can't, mm. uh, the, the word Mr. Nugent used was Bain decamped. It dropped a whole yes. lot of lever arch files and documents on the commission and then disappeared. 
and refused to answer any more questions. And that, for me, is the fundamental problem with Bain's conduct. I agree with Natasha. I want to stay with you a little bit more so that we explain the modus operandi of Bain as a corporate citizen in terms of how its agentive powers were deliberately used for its own benefit, as opposed to this idea of being an unwitting victim of the actors within the state sector that are supposed to have acted without Bain's knowledge in subverting our democracy. You know, I've read this book, I'm sure you've read it too, a couple of times now, absolutely brilliant. It remains compulsory reading for anyone who wants to understand state capture. Ethel Williams's book, Deep Collusion, Bain and the Capture of South Africa. And what he says there, Natasha, is of course that, you know, Bain as a company had been effectively grooming CEOs, including Sipo Maseko, starting with Telcom, before using their technique that they had perfected at SARS. And they used many different elements in terms of how they went about preying on the state, such as, for example, before a new CEO is seconded to Telcom or in Tom's case to SARS, pretending to help them prepare for the journey ahead, preemptively getting them to come to the headquarters at Nauru's Arch. And lo and behold, fast forward many months later, even before the public is aware of a new announcement of a new commissioner, they knows who it is by their own admission with internal documentation that Ethel Williams, as a whistleblower, demonstrates as an insider who was a partner, they end up, and you give examples of this with other companies as well in your analysis piece that I've referenced, Bain too ends up basically writing the very opportunity that he then gets to go and work at SARS on a project that he doesn't have any skills for by its own internal admission. And lo and behold, despite lacking the skills, it basically sets itself up to lie to the country and to the public about operational changes in the system at SARS that are required, even though SARS was world class. And it fleeces SARS dry in cahoots with Tom and ultimately with the Guptas and everyone else. Speak to me into that, Natasha, because what's key there, I think, is that any idea that SARS was fleeced by people that Bain were not friendly with and intentionally cooperating with to subvert SARS for their own capitalist ends. I mean, that's just absolute balderdash, surely. No, <laughs> I'm afraid it's not, um, Eusebius. And this is this is why our uh, retired Judge Nugent really wanted Bain to come back. There were so many unanswered questions. And one of the main questions, just like with Sipo Maseko at Telcom, um, Bain had... Insider knowledge it, it, that that Mr. Moyani was was going to be announced the SARS commissioner, and this was almost a year before um, he was actually announced commissioner. Mm. And and I mean that alone is staggering. And and before that, Mr. Masone had began uh, forming a relationship with former President Jacob Zuma. Yes. Um. Through through various uh, through various business contacts uh, uh, who, who were linked to Mr. Zuma. Um, and, and, and this, you know, this, this was all, so, so their inside, insider knowledge alone at that stage was, um, was dubious. It was, it already was dubious. Mm. Um, and the difficulty is, is Bain could not provide any answers as to you know, where they got the insight into, you know, state capture, as former Minister of Finance, Praveen Gordon, used to say, is about connecting the dots. And Bain held key, held key 
um, uh, elements that can allow us to connect those dots and bring those responsible for state capture to to book. Um, what you know, we don't know what the discussions were between Mr. Masone and Mr. Zuma. Um, that might give us some, uh, you know, insight into into the thinking around. Mr. Zuma's decision to point Mr. Moyane, um, and, in, and, and what, and what the aim was. Um, the fact that Bain, Bain is at the heart of, of, of all of this and at the heart of, at the, and it pro- can provide us with those keys. And it's just not, you know, it's just not bothering to, to give us that is, is deeply, deeply problematic. Um, Bain also, uh, Mr. Mr. Moyane and Mr. Masone, um, they had a meeting before, way before he, the former commissioner of SARS, uh, the acting commissioner, let me say, Mr. Ivan Pillay, um, before the, the reports of a, of a rogue unit actually emerged, before he was suspended, before any of that happened, Mr. Masone had mes- met Mr. Moyane and had a look at SARS op- and did some research on SARS operating system. It mm. is just mind boggling. Absolutely. That, that these guys feel okay. No, we don't. We don't have any responsibility to you. We don't have to tell. We don't have to do anything more. We gave you the money back. You should be grateful. Yeah. It's, it's not about that, and it's it's also not about the fact that they they haven't been charged by the NPA yet. It's about providing answers, and and it's about true accountability. And Bain does not get that. <laughs> you see, it's Absolutely. I mean. It's it's op-ed pieces just show you that it just doesn't get that. Iraj, I want to bring you in here. Your piece centers a very important concept, which is reparative justice. I loved it because it's forward-looking. And while you are hard-hitting about how private enterprise must get as much public attention as the public sector, you go nevertheless a step further by suggesting, besides the analysis of the problem, what might be a way forward for us to repair the damage done to our economic and political and democratic edifice? And it's all about reparations. But as I was saying to my producer, um, Paige, it's really interesting to me that Bain's refusal to acknowledge that it actively engaged in state capture means that it doesn't meet the first of your bullet points towards the end of your opinion piece, which is to say that fully Owning up and admitting to your role, what you know and what you did is a precondition to even talk about the next steps in reparative justice. Given your commitment to making sense of reparative justice, what do you make of Bain saying we weren't involved in state capture and a 10-year punishment for not doing business with the state is unfair? I think, Sibius, I, um, uh, what, what do I think of it? I think it's 180 degrees opposite of what nowadays we call it an ethical corporate citizen or corporate responsibility. Bain, with their shenanigans over the past couple of months and with their latest statements, they have become the embodiment of an irresponsible, unethical corporate entity. And therefore, I believe very strongly as a citizen that we cannot succumb to this type of neocolonial corporate behavior as if our opinions don't matter, as if they can decide and we must just uh, oblige. Mm. And, And that just, I find this absolutely unacceptable. And the fact that they call themselves a, a, a business advisory 
an entity management consulting turnaround or any such uh, label makes a mockery of the whole field. Um, so Bain and Co. They need to come public. They, as as you very aptly put it, they must come in and discuss the issues with the like of Natasha, myself, yourself, and all other citizens who are on the receiving end of their corporate corruption and enablement of of uh, extraction of resources and destruction of institutions of governance. SARS had absolutely no need for refinement at the time that Bain wanted to refine it. Their, their first duty in a professional term is to, to tell us what was wrong with SARS that Bain had better ideas. SARS at that time was number one, not by my judgment, by IMF by OECD's rating amongst all emerging economies. SARS was number one revenue collection, number two globally amongst the OECD countries. Mm. So, so Bain must tell us why did they get into these shenanigans? And that is where coming back to Natasha's point, which is very absolutely central to our turnaround of our economic situation, is divulge what was the plan, what was the story, what were you cooking, and how much did you extract in the name of Bain and Co? Uh, to say that we are, uh, we are an unwitting, uh, accidental victim suggests that they are absolutely clueless about the environment in which they operate. Everybody at that time knew. I personally was involved in so many uh, panel discussions that are recorded uh, about what was going on at SOX, what was going on at NPA, what was going on, so on and so forth in different institutions. So what Bain has done is not just the money that they have stolen or extracted, but the damage that they've done to the institution of SOX and NPA and related in the institutions of governance that will take us in the best of times another 10 years to restore that is, if we have the resources. Absolutely. And I submit that we don't have the resources. At the moment, our hospitals are, are running in, in the midst that they are. Our water supplies, our energy, our government fiscal situation is absolutely fragile. Why? Because the key institutions of credibility and fiscal revenue collection, as well as its related institutions of of uh, monitoring and, and intervening and arresting the corrupt and the corrupting agencies mm. have been devastated. And but this, Arash, has to, yeah. let, me, let me read for you what they have to say about that. Because in this statement in which they subtweet government by suggesting, you know, that they are quote-unquote considering their options in response to this decision, um, to ban the state from doing business with them. Before that, they say the following two sentences along the way. SARS was and remains a critical institution and a source of pride for us as South Africans. We are embarrassed that this could have occurred in the first place and are angry that our work was used by others to damage a critical institution and South Africa. Now, there's no other word that comes to mind here for me, Iraj, than gaslighting. I mean, this is a predator that is refusing to come clean 
and having the audacity of saying that they are angry at what happened to the victims when they were part of the mob that attacked the victims, i.e. the taxpayers. Yep. Um, uh, CBS, I mean, if you, if you read what Mackenzie said in terms of ESCOM, it's very similar. This is from the same textbook, so to speak. They all read since the same hem sheet, the same mm -hmm. advised by the same lawyers and, and PR uh, spinners. Uh, McKenzie is the same thing about ESCOM. They destroyed ESCOM uh, apart from billions that they stolen. Uh, and if you ask them, they say, no, their work was, was abused. <laughs> uh, well, they, it didn't. Um, the, the, re the, the, the reality is that the very foundation of Baines and SARS and institutions of fighting corruption and crime, organized crime, um, were part and parcel of Bain's, uh, Bain's operations. If not, if, if it's truly not, then they should have absolutely no hesitation to come onto this show and absolutely. answer our questions. Very simple. Yeah. What have they got to hide? Why are they running away? Why do they hide behind press statements and feel, uh, uh, sort of uh, sorry for themselves and, 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 and are scared of facing the truth. 100%. Natasha, I want to bring you back in here and examine this question of the culpability of the legal person called Bain South Africa. Again, as Iraj says, there's a template here that these companies all use, and I really can't understand why they would pay big PR companies and strategy communication companies lots of money for such a transparently bad strategy. Um, McKinsey does the same, where it said that the one senior partner in their case was the one that smudged the values of McKinsey, and they threw him under the bus, of course. And the same year with the bad Italian, and there's a whole chapter on this in Ethel Williams' book that he very nicely, factually and conceptually analyzes Natasha when he talks about the myth of the Lone Ranger. I mean, it's it's so shocking that one part of the evidence, for example, that Ethel managed to keep on his own computer before they took away his, his work stuff is internal communication from Bain headquarters in the U.S. that suggested they're probably going to be punished as a result of some decent U.S. Department of Justice law and power to punish American companies for corrupt activities abroad. But if you come clean quickly as possible, you might get a discount on any fine that is imposed. In other words, it is not the case that there was a Lone Ranger involved, was there? Because Bain, South Africa, now wants to say, Please, pretty please with a cherry on top, can you draw a distinction between the bad Italian guy that is now back in Europe and these amazingly virtuous young people and one or two senior guys that are still back here in South Africa? What do you make of that argument on their part? And McKinsey has a similar one. I actually think it's embarrassing. It's an insult to our intelligence, frankly, mm -hmm. Eusebius, so because... Because, um, you know, when in the Nugent Inquiry, which was very public, uh, in the Zondo Commission, we, the documents were very public, there are strings of emails with 
senior, senior consultants, some of whom happen to be working in Bain's office in London at the moment. Um, I'm not sure whether you've seen the piece written by Lord Peter Hain, who, who worked very hard in the UK to have a three-year ban imposed on Bain in that country. Yes. Um, and he, he, he puts it really, really well. He says, um, Bain, exactly what you said, Bain would have us been, believe that it's the work of one rotten apple. But again, um, the, its office in London and the US endorsed the work. And many senior people who actually worked on the SARS project were part of those long unending emails where Vittorio Massone actually gloated about getting senior pe people like Peter Richer um, uh, and Ivan Pillay out of SARS. Um, those email chains and the people involved in them are now sitting pretty in the UK office of Bain. And, and that's fundamentally the problem um, w with Bain's approach. They, they, they are looking, you know, you know, they are looking at all the avenues to go around the truth. And in, in doing that, they're exposing themselves even more because it, it just shows that, that, this is probably a usual practice for them. You, your, your company is involved in in a in a in a severe scandal. Absolutely. You just move people around. I, is that normal practice for them? It it sounds like it to me because, I mean, why would you why would you take senior people that worked on such a disastrous project in South Africa and move them to London unless you are complicit? Hundred percent and. Iraj, you make the same point. Natasha made it earlier. She also made it in her opinion piece that I referenced, that if these companies were so serious about cooperating in reclaiming justice for the country, even in the scenario in which they were unwittingly unsnared, which is not the case, but even in that scenario, why get rid of the so-called bad apples instead of forcing them to stay out their contracts and also laying charges against them and having maximum internal punishment because, after all, they did something that violated their own contracts. But that wasn't the game that these companies were playing. Who knows what the, the conditions were under which Vikas left, for example, McKinsey. To this day, McKinsey hasn't come clean, and I suspect that's partly because they know that Vikas is McKinsey and McKinsey is Vikas. The Italian partner is Bain, and Bain is the Italian partner. And that's why there's so much obfuscation around the circumstances of them leaving. And to your point in your analysis, PC Raj, why none of them bothered to try and make sure that these folks tell us what they know before you let go of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that if, if they were indeed as bad as these guys uh, pretend, um, two points have to be brought to, to, to the discussion. One is that none of these contracts were in the name of those individuals. None of them were because of those individuals. None of them because of the credibility and expertise and the network of those individuals. The contracts were in the name of KPMG, McKenzie, SAP, uh, and Bain. So that's number one. Therefore, they cannot absolve themselves of responsibility for having that legal obligation okay. against which they, they were getting paid and, and handsomely so. So that argument for me doesn't hold. Secondly, if indeed was a rogue element or rotten apple, whatever terminology they use, the, the brand, the company has to go after these guys. KPMG must bring those guys uh, into, into account, nail them and jail them and force them to divulge if that was indeed a, a lone range. 
the same with Bain, the same with, with KPMG, the same with SAP. So this, this is absolute nonsense. And I really cannot say it any better than what Natasha says. It's an insult to our intelligence, to our, to our uh, suffering of, 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 of millions of South African kids who at the moment and poor who are suffering because these corporates just don't give a damn, excuse my language, mm -hmm. and they think they can get away with it because they've got corporate spinners and they've got politicians covering their back. Natasha, last question to you and then a final one for Iraj. You know, not only was I gobsmacked, although not really because corporates love thinking they can get away with murder because of our disproportionate focus in the media and as citizens on corruption in the public sector, but the audacity to say a 10-year ban is unfair, you're singling us out, and at any rate, you're putting the cart before the horse. There's no proof conclusively that we have been legally guilty of corruption, etc., etc., etc. And I'm thinking to myself, and I, I wonder whether you agree or whether you think I'm over-determining my own critique. These guys should be so grateful that all they got was a 10-year ban because, quite frankly, that is the bare minimum. That is not the greatest possible punishment. There have been a couple of good pieces written in Financial Mail and Business Day along these lines, including from the Helen Sussman Foundation, that have actually said that, you know, we could have been more punitive and also a bit more adversarial in terms of the criminal justice system going after the individuals and these corporates, and that a fine doesn't tell you, A, what the total cost of economic damage was done by these companies, and B, a fine is something they can survive and is actually less than the full legal sanction that is possible. How do you see it? Um, I... I, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you, Eusebius. I think, let me be really frank. I think government took really long to impose this ban. It should have been done very quickly after the revelations at the Nugent inquiry, not even the Zondo inquiry, because uh, frankly, very shortly after the Nugent inquiry, um, the development bank, for instance, uh, they got a contract contract. I think it was after at the development bank. So, so you know, my difficulty is, first of all, actually government took too long to act. Um, and we can actually quantify the damage that, that Bain and Mr. Mm. Moyani did. We know that um, during his four-year tenure, uh, his, his first four years as commissioner of SARS, there was a hundred billion rand tax uh, revenue hole. Um, we know that we had the first um, a VAT increase exactly. in two decades. Mm. So, so you know, we can quantify it. I, 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 I think you know we we could have done more, and we could have done more a lot quicker. We and we could have done more because we also know that the damage that was inflicted on our uh, security law enforcement agencies. We know that the NPA um, was was also captured, and the NPA was also hobbled, and that there was a recommendation that the NPA should consider prosecution in uh, prosecuting Bain. But we, you know, the government should have been aware that the NPA wouldn't have been, wouldn't be in the position to do that and should have acted a lot quicker. Um, we know that, that the NPA leadership has, 
has dramatically changed. We've seen some some real movement in cases being brought brought uh, being brought and and charges being laid, but we haven't seen any cases through yet. So you know it's still touch and go there. So mm. uh, in, in my mind, the law enforcement side is still going to take a really long time. So for me. It's not enough, frankly, and it's and it's and it's too late. I mean, it's not too late. It's never too late, but it should have been done a lot sooner, um, frankly. I totally agree with you, and I think that's very well put. The final question goes to you, Iraj. I praised at the beginning your analysis on this material because it's not just backward looking, and you don't get bogged down in analysis paralysis. As important as fine grained analysis is, your pieces on this quagmire are also forward-looking but i wonder a couple of months later and in the face of bain double downing how you feel about an aspect of your imagined pathway forward and when you talk about for example drafting a new ethical charter for business codes of conduct so that every implicated entity can sign it and then you segue from there on a sort of wistful note hoping that the public will get behind the national reparations campaign but there's a precondition for any such pathway, Iraj, to even be remotely possible, and that is willingness to get on board. But what we see from Bain is the opposite, hard-headedness and refusal to even acknowledge that you are implicated in the diagnostic part of the conversation. So presumably, they're not even candidates to be in your solution space. Um, CBS, that's only because they believe government is slow, it's inept, and the legal system is too slow, com convoluted, and they're not going to, to, to chase them, to, to bring them to account. Um, I have absolutely no doubt, and more than ever, um, since I've written that piece, having spoken to a lot of international and, and national entities, individuals, groupings, and so on, are more than ever convinced that as a nation, we need to um, to mobilize um, and not just go the legal route, but go the sociopolitical route. It's an economic damage. It's a destruction of an economy that was above investment grade, and two notches above investment grade, and today is almost three notches into the junk grade zone. Um, the damage that's been caused by these entities, uh, not no single one of them, but combined, um, is, is now legally registered. 5,500 pages of open, transparent, legally um, conducted evidence against them. Um, and therefore, the way I see it is that we need to mobilize as a nation um, and demand reparation. Turkeys typically don't vote for Thanksgiving Day, and I don't expect them to do <laughs> I do not. It would be irrational of them to do that, but it would be equally irrational of us to keep saying these guys caused the damage. We know it, but they must still do business here, and they must still be respected as a corporate entity or as a brand. Absolutely. Um, I'm absolutely furious that entities like Sasso, despite all that we know, they still think Bain 
is a credible player to be a legal corporate entity in the South African jurisdiction despite the damage that they've done. Mm. Um, it would be tantamount to uh, having uh, somebody like uh, Fervud or somebody to now be given um, sort of uh, a position in a political landscape and be honored as a national hero. I agree. Uh, I mean, this is ridiculous of, of Cecil to, 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 to pose that argument. Mm. It's equally ridiculous of Bain to behave the way they do, but it's equally rational of them not to want to pay reparation. Therefore, I'm excited that we're having this discussion, we're having this program and similar programs, and we mustn't relent. Um, and Absolutely. it is an abdication that we dare not to do of our responsibilities. Iraj, you know how much I love your brain? Incisive, clear-headed, and articulate. Thanks, as always, despite your busy schedule, to quick me, quickly fit me in. I'm obsessed with extemporaneous conversation. It doesn't really work for people who like to plan ahead. So thanks for falling in with my pace at short notice. I appreciate that. Absolutely. E thank you. And equally, Natasha, I was saying to Paige, Natasha is one of our excellent print media journalist in this country who is humble to a fault so not necessarily known the length and breadth of the country not because you shouldn't but because you don't draw attention to yourself so i want to affirm your excellent work over the years and um, if it was up to me i'd have you on the program regularly whenever it meets your schedule of course as well thanks for coming on a short notice also and for your incisive points thank, thank you so much for having me cbs that's very kind cheers